Hi, I'm Lauren. Hi, I'm Kelly, and welcome to The Millennial Minimalists. We're two Canadian millennials and minimalists on a mission to live more with less. And together, our goal is to inspire you to design a simpler, more intentional life. Hi everyone, today as we get closer to celebrating the holiday season, Lauren and I speak with accomplished author Meg Nordman about her new book titled Have Yourself a Minimalist Christmas, which is a short and insightful read that will help you slow down, save money, and enjoy a more intentional holiday. Meg is a former journalist and editor turned full-time mom to two little girls who now writes, blogs, and speaks about minimalism, which she describes as a lifestyle that has afforded her family the luxury of time and freedom to explore the things that matter the most. Considering the holidays can feel overwhelming when it comes to planning gifts, decorations, and celebrations, Meg's book provides you with the perfect blueprint to approach the holiday season with intention. And in our discussion, you will learn tips on how to prepare your home, your budget, and your schedule to achieve a more organized, less expensive, and happier holiday. And most importantly, Meg will motivate you to adopt the mindset of doing and buying less. that you can achieve simplicity this season and any time of year. Be inspired to simplify this magical time so that it becomes less about the stuff and more about what the holidays are really about, which is coming together. So today we really want to focus on how we can simplify our homes, our calendars, and our budgets this holiday season. But before we get into this, I'm hoping you can briefly share your story before you became a minimalist and the pivotal moments or catalysts that influence you to adopt this lifestyle. Sure. Yeah. I'm losing count, but I think it was about six years ago or so. I had an apartment out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was jam-packed with stuff. (laughs) And I had just moved it all from Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I didn't declutter a single thing. I didn't know that word. I didn't know that I could let go of things. I just, I grew up in a very maximalist household and I never saw my mom get rid of anything. We can relate. (laughs) And so everything that she did, I just adopted. And somewhere in that time span, I picked up Marie Kondo's book, The Magic Art of Tidying Up, just simply because it was like a number one New York bestseller. And I kept hearing about it. And I was just like, huh, you can throw things away. (laughs) Oh, you're right. Some things spark joy and some things don't. And so that was kind of the beginning for me, but it didn't turn me into a minimalist by any means. Um, I feel like it was just that very initial sweep of probably the, the stage where people just get rid of trash, you know, like the broken things. Um, because by the time I ended up packing up that apartment and needing to move all the way across the country to Florida, uh, I ended up with an SUV full, pulling a huge trailer, absolutely full. And then I thought that would be enough. It wasn't, I had to get my mother-in-law to come out there and drive a U-Haul truck behind me. And even then we could, we were literally like pushing things in and I had to leave stuff on the sidewalk. I remember seeing like a vacuum cleaner on the sidewalk as I, in my rear view mirror as I pulled away because I couldn't fit it in. And that's how much stuff I had. And we moved here and it's about 750 square feet, a little beach cottage. And that amount of stuff couldn't fit in 
the little beach cottage. <laughs> and so it forced me to declutter again. Still, I crammed things under beds. I had my husband make shelves in all the closets to create more storage space anywhere I could find, you know, negative space. So I really hadn't gotten the point yet. And I should back up to say my husband, when he moved in with me as a boyfriend, he moved in with like two surfboards and two pairs of swim trunks and two guitars. And I think, you know, practically all this guy owned and he had really adopted the minimalist mindset and he kept mentioning it to me and he kept kind of nudging me, you know, if you just got rid of this stuff and, um, and I was still clinging to everything. And it wasn't until I had my child soon after we made that move and she was an early walker and she started walking around 10 months old. And once they start walking, the Uh stuff that you think you can cram out of sight and it's everywhere. I mean, it's just like a tornado. And anyway, yeah. So it was that realization that I was just spending my life bending over, picking up things over and over again, slaving away at the dishes, never ending couch piled up with laundry, never ending. And I wasn't living my life and I wasn't being present as a mother you know, I wanted to play with her. You know, she'd come to me with toys in her hand and say, mommy, let's play dinosaurs or whatever. And, and I'd say, Oh, sorry, I can't. I have to wash these dishes. Sorry. You know, and, and I was just like, this is not how I thought motherhood was going to be. And on top of that, I'm a creative being, you know, I wanted to create art and I wanted to write. I have all these book ideas. I play oboe. I really missed playing in an orchestra and practicing. And and my husband's also a creative person. And, and I just could see him having a little bit more time to do those things. And I had zero time. And I had the light bulb moment finally. And I was just like, oh, if I just didn't have all this stuff, then I would have more time like that. They equal <laughs> same thing, you know, like, ah. so I finally started truly decluttering, not just throwing away the obvious trash pieces, like really digging deeper because asking, does this spark joy was just not enough for me. I had to, because I, I would look at anything and say, oh yes, definitely that sparks joy. You know, aunt Susie gave that to me. So therefore it sparks joy and realizing, no, you know, thinking about Aunt Susie sparks joy, my memory of her, but this thing, this random little trinket is not the thing that sparks joy. (laughs) You know, it's just something else. I have to move around and dust around and pick up when it gets taken down by the kid and pack up and move to the next time. You know, oh, it sounds so simple now when I say it, but it really was like a light bulb moment for someone like me who is very much a maximalist, semi-hoarder, you know, shopaholic. I was just in a totally different mind frame. And it took years. It was not overnight. It was not weekends. It it was constantly chiseling away deeper questions, realizing sunk cost bias, trying to sell my stuff on Facebook marketplace and realizing the thing I thought was worth a hundred dollars was worth nothing. Nobody Mm -hmm. would buy it, not even for $2. I couldn't give it away. And realizing like, oh my gosh, I've been holding on to this stuff, placing value on it. And it was only of value to me the moment that I bought it that day, 10 years ago <laughs> at that price, but it's not of value truly. And uh, there were just so many light bulb moments over the next few years as I started really digging away and going, it's like peeling away the 
layers of an onion, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. There's actually, and an, there's a part in your book where you mentioned the financial burden as well, where yes. it was in Christmas, 2017, you mentioned that you had spent over $2,000 on your daughter's first Christmas. Yes, and, I know, it's embarrassing. <laughs> well, and I, 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 Lauren and I are both curious, What what is the first change that you made after realizing that? Yeah, um, well, I should back up and also say, about the same time that we were moving from New Mexico to Florida, my husband and I sat down and decided that we wanted to become financially independent. I don't know if you've heard of the FIRE movement. Yeah. FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And he said, I really want to retire by age 42. I don't know why he picked that random number, but that was the number in his head. And we're going to do it before he turns 40 now. But at that point, I was still in this mindset of as soon as I got a check, I spent it. And I was always, since I my very first job, I was always in that cycle. And uh, I needed that dopamine hit. And I wanted to reward myself every week to show for the hard work that I had put in. Like that's how I thought of it. And it was about quantity, not quality. So I would go to a thrift shop thinking I was being frugal, you know, <laughs> but I would get seven dresses for, you know, 10 bucks each or something thinking what a steal instead of going to get, you know, now one quality piece for a capsule wardrobe. And it's like the one piece I bought this year, <laughs> yeah. um, a vast difference. So anyway, um, we were on this path to financial independence and it was my first time sitting down and looking at numbers and him explaining debt and interest to me, which also sounds so basic, but the concept of interest really didn't sink in with me mm-hmm. until he, you know, I, I got a new job great pay raise. So excited about that first check. And he goes, you know, this isn't your money. What what do you mean? This isn't my money. This is, this belongs to bank of America and this bank and this loan. And that's their money. You have to pay them back because you borrowed their money. (laughs) Oh, I mean, it sounds so simple now, but you're right. And so, um, I started making a lot of, you know, financial 101, you know, mind shifts. And I was doing a really good job scaling back on my shopaholic habits. And I had done so good in that first year of her life of really not buying things. And we had this child and I was trying so hard to just do hand-me-downs and just find things at the secondhand shop. We don't need all the little baby things. And then Christmas came and I got on Instagram and Pinterest (laughs) and I saw all those picture perfect images where the family's all in the matching jammies and the kid has a room full of wooden toys and (laughs) they've got hot cocoa mugs and you know, everything's picture perfect. And I kept trying to create that. And I was stressing myself out trying to create those idyllic Pinterest perfect moments in our life and I was spending a fortune doing it, trying to anyway. And I still probably didn't achieve anything Instagram worthy. But, I, you know, I would see like, you know, double tap. Oh, what does she have? Oh, well, that would, you know, make me happy. Basically, that would make my child happy. And um, I gave her everything a child could need through the first five years of her life. 
by Christmas. And and a one-year-old needs like a stick and a ball and a bucket of dirt. And they're happy. That's like the irony. (laughs) They don't even know what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. She she has no memory of that quote unquote magical Christmas I created where, you know, it really was for me. It was for me to take the picture of the Christmas tree that had the wicker pram and the three-story dollhouse and the rocking horse and the vintage retro car that she could, that she never drove around. (laughs) I mean, I can't even begin to list all the things that I had. It was absurd. So I completely blew any kind of budget or good habits that I had out of the water. And I realized it. I was really kind of ashamed and embarrassed when I realized kind of the bill that I racked up in the next few months over that. And the realization that she doesn't actually play with these things, you know, the car was too big to make turns around the corners. And so I literally had to sell it on Facebook marketplace. I mean, I was just like, why did I do this? You know? Right. And, and that was all kind of happening at the same time that I was having the light bulb moment of the, all this stuff, you know, equals time. If I have less stuff, I have more time. And so I started decluttering the things I just bought <laughs> that Christmas, yeah. you know? And, um, so anyway, it got better and better as each year went by and I call them decluttering muscles. You know, they were getting stronger. These, you know, the ability to fight any kind of consumerist urges and the ability to get rid of things. And I, sorry if I'm getting off topic here, but the reason I wrote the book was because last fall I noticed that every single fall in these minimalist Facebook groups that I'm in, a lot of them are for minimalist mothers. It's like a tongue twister to say, Um, but everyone kept asking the same questions around October, November, the same questions kept coming up like the same, that's like nine questions. (laughs) And I noticed myself get a little annoyed that like, Oh my gosh, somebody's asking this again. And because I've answered these questions to be helpful so many times. And I realized I had read about 30 books on minimalism, probably like every single thing out there, anything I could find on Hoopla, which is a free audiobook app, um, podcasts, you name it. I, I had to listen to these minimalist books in order to help me declutter had that little voice in my ear <laughs> as I was attacking closets. And um, I realized nobody had really spent a whole lot of time on Christmas. Right. There wasn't one resource for that. There was, you know, a random blog that would be, you know, five to 10 paragraphs long, or maybe a short 30 minute podcast episode, but nothing in depth. And I realized I could actually be that person. I want to write. I now have the time to write. I know the answer to this because I've lived it. <laughs> it's like, I just sat down and started writing the book. And so, sorry, that's no, really I long. love this story. This is great. <laughs> this is wonderful. I mean, Lauren and I also, we've been inspired by uh, minimalist books, podcasts, fellow podcasts and Lauren is, has always lived simply. So I was actually inspired by her. Uh, so I'm the second adopter, but yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm amazed by people who have grown up this way. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I've, I've just always been this way, but learning, uh, there's like areas that I'm still adopting, but it's crazy to see how much stuff people accumulate over a lifetime. Like, yeah, 
Well, speaking of our homes and simplifying our spaces, uh, you gave some great advice in your book. You said you gave the suggestion that we should declutter our spaces in advance to make room for these new items that come into our home through the holidays. And you suggested four rooms, your kitchen, your living room, your wardrobe, and our bedrooms or your kids' bedrooms if you have kids. Uh, That being said, how can we avoid overwhelming ourselves through this process? Yes. So I I think first of all, just focusing on those four spaces makes it less overwhelming. And within that, it's even a smaller decluttering process. So I don't tell people to go and declutter their entire wardrobe. It's just their winter wardrobe. So just go ahead, you know, just slide all of the spring and summer stuff towards the back. You can do that during a spring cleaning when you want to really get in depth with decluttering your closet. But I just want to reduce the overwhelm (laughs) as much as possible because it's already a busy, crazy season, the holidays in itself. So how can we make that easier? Well, if you just go through your winter wardrobe and make sure that in advance of everything before, of course, it's a little different with 2020 because we're not going to so many holiday parties anymore. But when I was writing the book, that was a big, big problem for me was the amount of holiday parties. But you know, if if you do have holiday parties and events that you want to go to, go ahead and make sure you fit in your clothes so that you save yourself that feeling, that gut punch when you're getting ready for a holiday party and you slip on that cocktail dress that you've known for weeks that you were going to wear and you can't zip it. (laughs) Go ahead and figure that out now so that the day the party comes around, you now know this dress, this red dress is going to be the one that makes me feel great. And that whole evening is amazing from the moment you're getting dressed to the moment of arriving, you know, and just being able to locate everything. So that's just kind of my mindset of just scaling it down to a niche within a niche, you know, in the same way with the kitchen. I don't want people to go and declutter their entire kitchen right now. If they're not minimalist yet, and they're just now picking up this book, you know, just just look at what shifts in your kitchen during the holidays. For me, I start baking. I don't bake much the whole rest of the year, but around December, I want to make gingerbread men and I want to make my little Santa's forgotten cookies. And I want to make, you know, decorate things with icing with my kids. And so I have like five different recipes that are like fun traditions to do with little kids. But they create such a mess with flour. It's it's a chaotic thing. It's a wonderful, lovely thing. But if you go ahead and you have everything kind of set up and you know what you have, you don't, it's, it's the worst thing ever to have little children out with flour in their hands and then realize you don't actually have brown sugar, you know, which you need for the recipe. So if you've already kind of taken inventory in advance of all of this, then it can be an enjoyable experience and a wonderful memory. And, you know, and you can be present and, and not frustrated and stressed and because I've had both experiences now. And so I've, I've definitely learned prepping everything as far in advance as you can is, is where it's at with the living room. You know, it's an even smaller task. It's, it's as much as thinking ahead of time about if you're getting a tree, where are you going to put the tree? Well, if you put the tree there, where are you going to move that armchair? You know, things kind of rearrange a little bit, usually for me anyway, around Christmas. And then I have probably 
10 Christmas children's books that stay packed with the Christmas decorations. And I like to create a special spot for that because my kids love to sit there and just go over the Christmas books. And so everyone has like a different thing. It might be movie marathons, you know, or it might be my mom used to love Christmas puzzles. And so she would set up a special card table. And so I just try to tell people to think about what it is your family enjoys doing and how can you go ahead and set things up to make that more of ease, if that makes sense. (laughs) So well said. I actually took it back and I, that information and I thought about how my dad always gives me the advice, always keep your home so that it's ready for company. And so basically when you gave this advice, I was thinking, well, it's almost like cleaning up your spaces before you put that new stuff in. So, and then sometimes you want to replace things, right? So if you have Mm -hmm. a beautiful shelf full of books, maybe you want to take those books down and fill it with your, your Christmas holiday books, right? And rather than stuffing it in all together and just adding on, you know, adding more decorations onto a mess, right? That's the fear. That creates this claustrophobic feeling in me because that's how I used to decorate. I used to pull out all the Christmas stuff and then just put it out with my normal setup. (laughs) And then the day after Christmas, I was ripping everything down because I felt so claustrophobic in those last few weeks of December. (laughs) So, um, but yeah. And then, you know, the, the influx of stuff is inevitable, especially with kids. Everyone's going to gift your kids stuff. and, And we'll probably talk later about asking people to not give so much and how to go about that. But even if you do, even if they know you're a minimalist, even if they understand that, even if you've asked them to scale back, there's still going to be some amount of new things that come in. And so if you can go ahead and declutter a playroom or a child's room in advance, it's less stressful and less overwhelming when they unwrap all these things. If you know there's a place for it and you can still feel that gratitude towards that person rather than being like, Oh my God, why did you bring all this into my house? (laughs) Yeah. I I know Lauren has some questions about that. Yeah. Well, I I wanted to ask too, you talk about in your book about decorating simply and, you know, I think most people's houses are already kind of cluttered and then we kind of bring up all of these decorations and it makes it even worse and people get overwhelmed. Um, I love decorating for Christmas. Like I said, I, I just love the aesthetic of it. And I, I, it's very simple decorations. Like I love a Christmas tree with just lights on it. I don't like ornaments. And I even have like fake cards around my television. It's kind of scary. I hope no one ever looks in this stuff. But <laughs> I, I just like the way it looks. And like when I'm reading in the morning with the fireplace channel, <laughs> it's really beautiful. And like I get a poinsettia every Christmas and light a candle. But you, you talk about some ideas in the book about just simple decorating. Like if, if you can go over a few of those so people can kind of get an idea of how they can do it differently. Yeah. First, I would talk about decluttering the existing ornaments and then how to scale back. I, <laughs> I, I guess it was three years ago, decluttered all of my Christmas ornaments. Not all, but I went through everything. And first I went through the things that I had in my own closet here at this little house and got rid of tons of stuff and decided I'm going to get rid of this faux Christmas tree and start doing a real one and, and started making some decisions around that. And then I realized that I had during that big move across the country, 
I had so much stuff, as I told you, that I couldn't fit it into this house. And it occurred to me that a lot of that stuff went to my mother-in-law's barn. And I asked her if she would let me put it in there. (laughs) I totally forgot about it. And you know, when we say you box something up and you forget about it, you don't need it. And it was stuff I'd been carrying around since I got my very first apartment. So since I was 18, (laughs) you know, and so the next visit I had over there, I pulled out all the boxes and there were seven large plastic boxes of Christmas ornaments. And there were only two little white deer that I saved out that I'd just been wondering where they were for years and everything else I got rid of. And I realized a lot of it was ornaments that my mother had passed down to me and they were not special necessarily. They were from 1980 something, but I held on to them because they were my mom's first ornaments when she got her apartment when she was 18. And then she gave them to me. And so I had like created this like special story around them as if they were an heirloom, right? (laughs) And there was a lot of stuff. That's just one example. But I wonder how many, there has to be plenty of other people in the world that are like me who decorate and they still have five boxes left over full of stuff that didn't get put out, didn't get put on the tree, but they just can't get rid of it for some reason because they've put some kind of special meaning to it. Even though it's not loved, it's not something they want to display. So first of all, just decluttering all this stuff in the first place. And then of course, step one of that is realizing what's actually trash and worn out that the ribbons on wreaths start to fade when the sun gets on it. And the tassels on my Christmassy plaid throw blanket were all tangled and looking crummy. It's just that kind of stuff. But um, I, I had this habit of still packing things up for the next year anyway, despite that. So anyway, I decluttered that. And now I'm trying to take a more natural approach to my decorating. So I just dehydrated some citrus, I guess about a month and a half ago and strung them up. I'm looking at them. So I'm like looking up. (laughs) It's the only holiday ish thing I've got to set out now, but, um, it was a super easy thing to do. You just slice up citrus and you put the oven on the lowest temp it'll do just like 200 probably and put it in there for about three or four hours and they dry. It's super simple. And then you can just thread twine through it, you know, get a nail or a big thick needle to go ahead and poke a hole through it if you need to and pull it through. Super simple. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's wow. it. And do you dress like areas in your home shelves with that? Yeah. Yeah. You could, they, they make like garlands. And if you put them across a window, the light shines through them because it's so thin and it's almost like a stained glass effect. Oh. It's really beautiful. And then some people get more fancy. I haven't tried this yet, but you could put like cranberries or a little sprigs of rosemary or cedar in between, which is kind of how I did the, um, the cover photo. I painted that for the cover. Again, yay, I gained time. I can paint now. <laughs> that would smell so nice too. Yes, yes. The house smelled amazing. And um, and my kids just had a, a blast with all the leftover stuff that didn't make perfect slices. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> These are great ideas. I mean, the, the holidays can be very wasteful, right? Yeah, when I have such limited, limited space. So now I've got like two or maybe three boxes max 
that are in the closet of stuff that I do want to bring out each year, which is a drastic thing from probably like 20 plus, if you count the stuff that was at the mother-in-law's too. And now when this is over, I'm going to put this in the compost for our garden. And I'm going to use, I got rid of, one of the things I decluttered was all the faux garland, which looks horrible. And just now I'm just trimming stuff from a cedar that's across the street. We've got some cedar trees in the woods and all you need is just green gardening wire and you can pull that together and creating my own wreaths. What else can you do? Just pine cones, just a few in a bowl, anything like that, that evokes winter, bringing that outdoors in, you know, there's all kinds of neat things you can do with acorns, pomegranates, just pomegranates gathered in a bowl, you know, looks beautiful. And um, to me, the idea is just to stop buying so much plastic and creating all this waste for landfill. I have done my fair share now (laughs) and I'm, I'm done contributing to that. And to also save my own space, I'm tired of paying rent for boxes and boxes of Christmas stuff. It's ridiculous. My space is so valuable to me and I don't want to use it. I like the way you say that. You're paying rent for it. You yes. are because you're keeping it in your space all year round and you found a way to be less wasteful. And at the same time, you're interacting with your kids, building these amazing things. Exactly. Right. That are sustainable. It's such a great idea. I, you gave me some ideas. So thank you. <laughs> We just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening to The Millennial Minimalist and to let you know about our exciting Simple Living consultations. Whether you are looking to remove physical, mental, emotional, or digital clutter, or you're looking for a reset on life, we will help you adopt simple and intentional lifestyle practices for the long term. Together, Lauren and I offer both personal and group sessions. So if you'd like to connect with us one-on-one, or if you have friends or family members who'd be interested in a group session, please connect with us via email at millennialminimalist at gmail.com, or you can send us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at millennialminimalist. As soon as we hear from you, we will set up your first complimentary 10-minute consultation to learn more about your goals. Ultimately, it is our mission to help you design a lifestyle around the things that matter most to you. And of course, have a lot of fun with us along the way. We love you all and we're so excited to hear from you. I feel like that's like the whole point of Christmas is like coming together and like doing these things with your family. And now it's just like hectic pulling boxes of stuff out of the basement. So much of it is self-imposed too. I talk about in the book about my outdoor Christmas lights and to preface this, I love outdoor Christmas lights. I might actually to get my four-year-old out of the house while we have this podcast. My husband is driving around with grandma and her and some hot cocoa looking at Christmas lights right now while we do this. (laughs) A little sad I'm not with them, but um, you know, so kudos to all the people who put it out there. But what my point of what I'm trying to say is to realize what's good for your family and edit things out that aren't serving you. And so I was forcing outdoor lights on our family for all these years. And because it was such a joyful memory for me as a child doing that with my family. So I thought I would make that a tradition for my family and nothing about it was joyful. My husband is not into it at all. He's very, he he doesn't like to waste energy and he's also very frugal. (laughs) So I, the last year that I did this, 
he complained and made me feel guilty and just, eh, I can't believe you're wasting electricity every time I turned it on. And then it was past, it was around Valentine's day when I finally took my lights down because it was such a huge chore. I had put so many lights up that it was going to be this massive project to take them down. So I just procrastinated. And that was one of the things I wanted to highlight in the book was just think about the things that make you groan. If it makes you groan to put it up or it makes you groan to take it down or somebody in your family's whining about something or groaning about something, maybe you, you don't have to do it just because everyone else does or just because that was nice when you were a child doesn't mean it serves you right now. And so much of minimalism is about editing things and curating things. And that's the same for traditions too. You know, it's not just your clutter. It's what, what traditions are you putting on your family? Like so many people think they have to do the Christmas card and there's so much work entailed with that. It's lovely to receive cards. I appreciate it, but I am not in a season for that. I've decided to edit that tradition out. (laughs) That's such a good point though, because that is something that I also grew up with. It's like when you have a family, now you have to do the Christmas card. You got to have the Christmas family picture and then you have to send all those cards out. And my parents at one point, they just said, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. And there's a, there's a quote in your book and I, I love it. You said that the key word for preparing a minimalist Christmas is intentionality. And that's exactly it. You don't have yes. to do everything that you learned as a child, right? So you can edit those things out. Uh, so when it comes to our schedules, considering the holidays can become an overwhelming time, uh, planning potential events, even virtually or attending them, how can we best manage our calendars with intention to avoid stress? Yes. So I have a huge paper calendar in our kitchen and I'm still very much a paper person despite this digital age. I guess I have both, but my husband and I look at the paper calendar together while we drink our coffee every morning. And so it's, it's really the one we go by. And so in my book, I only know how to teach what I do, really. So what I do is I use a pencil so that you can erase, obviously. And I put in all the hard dates first, the hard plans. And that means for me, that's the stuff that cannot move. That is a hard set date. For me, the Nutcracker Ballet is a tradition that I love. I grew up doing it. So they only do two performances. And so those hard dates have to go in. I'll pencil that in. And then, you know, the, my husband's company has a holiday party every year. That's a hard date that goes in. And I just kind of go through when is the Christmas parade? When is the sailboat parade? You know, all these hard dates, they can't move. And once those are set, I can kind of look at that pacing and decide what of those needs to be edited out. Are there like three back to back? Are there two overlapping? You know, which let's pick our favorite one. Let's start editing. Then I go in and put in my loose plans. So that's more like the traditions to me, the more flexible thing. So I know I want to make gingerbread cookies and I know I want to make sugar cookies with fun icing, but I don't want to do that all in the same weekend. That'd be horrible and not as fun. Each thing won't be as special. So can I do something in early December and then pick one to do, you know, later in December and go ahead and pencil that in and all the different things of, okay, this would be a great weekend for us to go and look at Christmas lights. This would be a great one to do, you know, cut down the Christmas tree or whatever it is that you do. And then 
again, you can see that pacing. It's all about pacing to me because I've done it in the past where I had just everything was like a marathon, especially towards the end of the month where I was like, oh my God, we haven't done this and this and this and this and this. And we just did all the things and everyone was exhausted and whining, and especially my husband, <laughs> just like dragging everybody around him to every um, town event. You know, I got into the problem of getting on Facebook events and seeing you know, it shows you all your local events, like a calendar. And I was like, okay, let's put everything on the calendar. Yeah. Attending. Book, I can tell that you're someone who loves attending events, hosting. I do. <laughs> and actually that part of the book really inspired me to go through my calendar in my journal and write down all my hard and loose plans. That was really inspiring. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. So once I started doing that and I created a better pace for everything, then everyone was much happier. When we went to a, a more intentionally chosen town event as a family, everyone was happy because it was the one thing we were doing that weekend, you know, instead of me trying to cram in six things. <laughs> yeah. So that's my hard plan, loose plan thing. So in your book, you also give advice on how to politely say no to events. And I loved this part because you <laughs> give quite a few examples, but I'm hoping you can give us uh, one example of how we can best turn an invite down from friends and how we could ease feelings of guilt. Yeah. I've gotten much more in intentional with my time and better and better at saying no. I also, I know in the book I talk about my life as a journalist and having just like a total panic attack because I had this inability to say no to anything. So I felt that same thing around Christmas every year with all the invitations. So my first suggestion would be to say, thank you. Like just that automatically just kind of diffuses it. So if you just start off with, Oh, thank you so much for thinking of us, but dot, 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 <laughs> or that sounds great, but no, thank you. You know, again, that thank you, it just kind of like dampens it and makes it less harsh. And I think that's my number one tip. I also, I know that stalling is a good <laughs> tactic for me. So rather than just saying no outright, saying things like, let me check my calendar and then coming back later and saying that no, that you already knew at that moment, <laughs> but saying it later, it sounds less out of your control. And so it feels easier to say. So, I mean, you can, it can take 15 minutes, a 15 minute pause as if you were checking something or checking with someone, or it could take a day or two, but you can come back and give that no. And it just feels easier on both parties. <laughs> I think. Yeah. It's yeah. less harsh to do it that way. And I feel like in terms of saying no, you kind of have to find what's most comfortable to you. And don't explain yourself. That used to be a problem of mine. I had this realization of, I don't have to tell people why. <laughs> can just have, you know, any of these, you know, 15 to 20 phrases and that's it. And it doesn't matter if you're going to lay on your couch, if that's your reason why. If you just want to lay there and watch Christmas movies and Hallmark movies or something, they don't have to know that, but just... Don't explain yourself. Yeah. And you send the book sometimes, you know, even if it does sound fun or you want to go, if you're doing too much, then nothing's fun. And you just end up exhausted and overwhelmed and you don't enjoy. Like, I think you said that 
you there was a parade before your husband's um work party and you would all you wanted to go to the parade then you always ended up having to rush to the work party and neither event was yeah. enjoyable because both you were of them were horrible <laughs> it's horrible yeah. both of them I'm like I mean, we all do that we're all guilty of it like we're yeah. just, we pack everything in and exhausted and moody at all the events that it's not even enjoyable so. yeah and just stressed trying to get through the holiday traffic to both things and and you know cutting one short and being late to the other and just the whole thing was horrible and it was all because I was just bound and determined to make this a family tradition you know and we did it last year so therefore it is now a family tradition you know and that was just part of me realizing like oh wait I this is self-imposed I can edit this you know and I know you have similar advice when it comes to giving and receiving gifts. So when it comes to gift exchanges between friends and family, uh, what are some alternative things that friends can do rather than something that is a physical gift, right? Something that doesn't cost much. So first of all, with gift giving, setting expectations as far in advance as you can is the best thing you can do. And so that before they go and, and buy something expensive, which now triggers this transactional thing where you feel guilt and you feel like you need to reciprocate with something of equal value, go ahead and set expectations up of we're just doing handmade things this year, or we're just having the party, but no gifts this year, whatever the, the boundaries are. And I have several different ones set up with different parts of my network. So with my just immediate extended family. How do you say that? Like my mom and dad and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Immediate family. Uh, We did just books last year. We all agreed in advance before anyone went and bought gifts for anyone. We're just exchanging one book for each adult. And, you know, they still gave gifts to my children and as fine, you know, it's more special for them, but as adults going ahead and setting up that guideline, was great for us. And it was still, we were still able to give something thoughtful because I knew my sister would benefit from this nonfiction book. And I knew my other sister would just love this fantasy series, you know, and books are only, you know, 15 bucks, 35 bucks, somewhere around there. So it doesn't break the bank. And, um, this year we've set up expectations again, but we're doing homemade things because we had an amazing garden this year and we had fun, learning how to create stuff. So we've got things all jarred up and we've got neat little packages kind of created for everyone. And then with your friends, I I don't like doing the dirty Santa white elephant things where you end up just trading a bunch of clutter. That's not really intentional because it's, it was part of the game, you know, the luck of the draw or who gets what. And so I really like, I've participated in homemade ornament swaps. I have a lot of creative artsy friends. And so they'll, everyone will create their own ornament and will, or a couple of the same thing. And then everyone kind of swaps. So that's one thing you could put together. And then that way, nobody feels like they have to give a gift because they've already done something. The same thing with cookie swaps. Those are great. Everybody makes several dozen cookies and then you all show up for the party and you get to hang out and have that togetherness, which is what everyone actually craves for Christmas, not the stuff. We want the memories and the togetherness, but the transactional thing still kind of happens, but it's cookies. And, you know, that costs a few bucks and flour and sugar and some fun creativity. 
And now everybody goes home with, you know, a half a dozen of this kind and a half a dozen of this kind and half a dozen of this kind. And everyone's got stuff for their own home for the holidays that they get to sample. And so that's a really fun one. And then the thing that I have done for several years now is actually after Christmas, because for me, hosting a party in December just feels crazy, but I really, and, and I feel like I do kind of put off a lot of friends or like they'll invite me to something. I'm like, Oh, you know what? Thank you so much for thinking of me, but can we get together after the holidays <laughs> when the, everything kind of calms down? And so what I do is I have a new year's vision board party with just my adult women friends. And sometimes I, we've had some years where we've, we've brought the kids too, but it gets a little crazy. But if you just have your girlfriends over and you say, all you need to bring is a bottle of wine and or a snack, you know, to contribute kind of potluck style, a poster board and a stack of magazines, some glue and scissors. That's it. That's kind of like the invitation that you send out. And I actually grab extra poster boards just to have for people who haven't had a chance. And then you all, all of us women just kind of sit around and snip from these magazines and everyone's swapping magazines around and you're cutting out words that jump out at you. And you don't really know why, but there's like certain words or certain images speak to you. And you just kind of natch. It's better than creating a new year's resolution. It's this like new year's vision. You know, and so one year for me, I was trending towards all these entrepreneurial, you know, boss, babe, you know, mompreneur, like those kind of words, uh, women in tech, those kind of things. And, uh, and I had this huge shift in my career and I went freelance and, uh, and it, it feels like magic. Like you look, everyone looks at the vision board and they're like, yeah, mine came true. Like it's magical, but really you're just creating this big, strong vision of what you want the year before. And you and you kind of can see what everyone around you is doing. So you'll notice that someone's snipping out all the baby stuff, you know, or someone's snipping out all the romance and love stuff. And so you'll see a word in a magazine and like pass that page to them and go, Hey, I think there's something you want over here. <laughs> And everyone kind of presents their collage in the end and you've all had a few glasses of wine and, and it's kind of just fun to talk about your big dreams with your friends. And it's such a cool way to start off the year. So sorry, that was a long explanation. <laughs> I no, love this party. party. <laughs> Lauren and I are eating this up. I can just see her Lauren's face. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I love that. I'm like, love vision porn. <laughs> We love vision boards and it's such a good <laughs> idea. Actually, so we're from Toronto, Canada, as you know, and we are currently in lockdown. So everything would need to be virtual. And this is a great virtual idea. And it really is. I hadn't thought about that. And even there are, you can do a party with your friends while you're cooking. You could all be baking at the same time with wine, with the Zoom on. It's there's so many unique ideas, but this vision board idea is, is a beautiful thing. You learn a lot about your friends. Like it's really cute. Exactly. And then you don't have to have that Christmas transaction of, you know, you can set that expectation up front of let's not do gifts. Let's just get together for our vision board party. And that way you're still doing something together, but you're doing it after the chaos of Christmas. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's nice that it's after Christmas. So you don't even have that after. Um, I have two questions I want to ask you about gifts. So I feel like for Christmas, I love Christmas. Like I love everything about Christmas, but like I dread the the gift part. 
And like, I love (laughs) listening to Christmas music and um, watching Christmas movies and like seeing the lights and going to ballet and the decorations and baking. But like, when it comes to like giving and receiving gifts, I just like cringe at the thought of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I never know what to get anyone. And the likelihood of someone getting something for me, I'm actually going to want or need or use is it's just not likely going to happen. And I feel bad they waste their money, which you talk about this in the book and we can talk, we can discuss that. But out of curiosity, like with your husband, like do you guys talk, exchange gifts or do you talk about what you actually want or, or you don't exchange we, gifts? We don't. <laughs> not oh, anymore. Okay. Yeah. He is not, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't stress as much how much gift giving is not his love language. He doesn't even know what to do with it when you hand it to him. It's just like, he's just like, uh, 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 and he opens a thing and you expect some kind of reaction and he like doesn't know what to do. And he usually does not like whatever it is. I mean, I cannot tell you how many gifts I have tried to get him in the past thinking he is going to love this one. I'm going to knock it out of the ballpark this time. And he is just like, I'm sorry, but can you return this? <laughs> I am never going to use this. So I've told him, I've, I've given up. It, it's just, it's no good for us personally. But it's great and, that you guys communicated that. Sometimes it's, I think Lauren and I recently, we've been put in the position. It's like, would you like to do gift exchanges, you know, from friends? And you get in that moment where you say, okay, uh, well, why don't we do this instead? You can say that, of course. But what if someone on the other end really, really wants to do a gift exchange? I guess you need, just need to be honest with them. Yeah. And he, he always does ask, what do I want? And especially as I've gotten further along in this minimalism journey, I really, I come up blank every time. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool that I, I have such an abundance and so much satisfaction with what I have that I literally can't think of anything. I keep... I'm I'm a Pinterest person still, despite knowing how much pressure it can put on me. I love Pinterest. And so I do keep a board where if anyone ever asks me what I want, (laughs) I have a wish list board of just kind of like the dreamy things I will never actually buy myself, you know? So if, and when he asked, what do you want? I will probably look at what the most recent thing was I put on there and see, you know, okay, I've really been looking at these minimalist shoes. Have you heard of them? Like the barefoot minimalist shoes? No. <laughs> I'm like, that's the one thing I kind of want right now. Okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and he would gladly get that for me, but he's the kind of person that is, he would never be able to think for himself, what it is I want. And I, I understand that. So I can tell him precisely what it is I want and he would get that for me. So again, to have some lists, have some things ready so that you know that whatever's entering your house is likely going to be something that's of value to you. And that's all anyone wants to really give. No one wants to give clutter intentionally, you know, like no one really wants to clutter your house. So make sure that it's something of value. If you're going to give something to someone, ask them what, what it is they want so that you know you're getting something of value. Uh, you can look at public Amazon wish lists. And uh, my children each have a, a separate Pinterest board because, again, you can do links from any site in there. That's where you can save. So some people will send an Amazon wish list, but then you're, you're really confined to just Amazon. You know, you could have a target wish list and a, you know, Walmart one and, 
and one for every single retail site out there. But if it's on Pinterest, you can at least pull from everywhere, Etsy, whatever. And so when grandmom asks me what the children need or want, I can say, here is Farah's board and here is Etta's board. That's a great advice. I think Lauren, I think you need a Pinterest board. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. I'm like, I'm in a new relationship and we're talking about gifts and I'm like, should I just like give his number to one of my friends and make them text him what I want? Or like, I don't know what I'm going to do with the gifts. <laughs> it's very hard to, like, to buy for Lauren. <laughs> like, I can't even buy for myself. Like, I, I don't buy much. And if I do, I sometimes return it. So yeah, um, I want to ask you each other questions. Is, I have a lot of people, like colleagues and stuff that will just give me random stuff for Christmas. Like, do you get that? or and I like I don't want to like even take it but you have to to be nice and then I don't want to have to get them something because they gave me some things I didn't even want to do the gift change so how do you deal with people that come up like that one of the things that I do is um I get the little baggies from the grocery store that have like the candy canes or whatever Christmas stuff printed on it And I have fun with my children baking all sorts of cookies and decorating them. And then I stick like 10 of these little cookies that we've done in cookie cutters and everything in there and put a little twisty tie on it. And I have them like ready to go, especially like that last week or the last two weeks of Christmas. So I do get the same thing where I have a big network of mom friends and I feel like they're more like acquaintances to me, just in the sense like our kids play together. We don't have a lot in common, but we have this relationship. And a lot of them will just kind of show up randomly and give a gift. <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, thanks. But I'll have these ready to go. And any extras that I've had, I've gone and dropped them off at neighbors' doors. So they pretty much all get distributed by the end of the year. So and consumables are like just they're just the way to go with gifts for me as a minimalist. And that could be, you know, a really nice coffee or, you know, there's local bakeries and and something about that, like localness is there's this thoughtfulness and extra story added to it. So anything consumable is a good way to go. Yeah. And we're actually trying to support as many local businesses as we can because we're in lockdown. But I also wanted to say, Lauren, I give you my gingerbread cookie recipes. So maybe that's a great idea. You can prepare all those in little bags and hand those out if people give you little gifts. What a great idea, Meg. Yeah. That's wonderful. If, if you know they're you know coming and they're on the way, make a little tag, you know, yeah. <laughs> with their name on it. Like I made this just for you. <laughs> yeah. You can write their name on it. It's perfect. So in your book, you've asked readers a very, very important question. And that is, what are your favorite memories of the holidays as a child and I thought this question really really stood out to me because I find it I find it significant because it challenges us to think about the ideas that we associate with the holidays which are most often experiences and not things in Mm -hmm. that moment I was thinking oh what do I think about when I think about the holidays and I thought about family I thought about Christmas Eve traditions I thought about the things that I do on Christmas day with my parents and my siblings. So it's a beautiful thing. I, and I think that that question was incredibly powerful because if anybody wants to simplify this time of year, they should start asking themselves that question. What can I do instead of 
consuming and buying all these items. In your in your book, you suggest that we prepare a budget and plan items that we need to purchase in advance before shopping so that we can purchase with intention. And you also share three strategies that we can use to buy less gifts. So I'm hoping you can briefly explain each strategy. Yeah, I'll be brief. Um, obviously, the number one is the budget and coming up with that so that you don't do what I did for Edda's first Christmas and have no budget and just keep purchasing every time Amazon recommends something to you. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> there's that. And then the second one would be the four gift rule. And I know I spent a little more time explaining that in the book. And uh, in case you haven't heard of the little poem, it's uh, something you want, something you need, something to wear, something to read. And so that way I'm not buying a hundred things. I'm buying four and we'll still probably receive a hundred things. You know? <laughs> so that still at least takes it down a little bit. And I really like that one because it's something you want, something you need, and there's only one want and all the rest are needs or something that really helps you out. And I think that that creates a better focus, especially for children that are learning from us. And, you know, Christmas morning is lovely, but the whole month of December or the months of November and December, because now we start so early, they don't have to all be about hammering in. What do you want? What do you want constantly? Instead, let's shift it to our traditions and experiences and togetherness, maybe even charity, you know, but that four gift rule, I think has the right balance is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so that's number two. And then number three is quality over quantity. And so rather than trying to have a, a stocking absolutely stuffed full of random little plastic knickknacks that'll be used for 10 minutes <laughs> before it's tossed to the side, you know, and, and, and just the way that I kind of went about it that first Christmas where it was all about quantity, how much could I cram under that tree and how opulent could I make it? <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And rather what, what are the quality pieces? And especially from adult to adult, rather than wandering and strolling the mall, hoping for inspiration to hit, or now in this digital age, just wandering and strolling through Amazon and seeing what Amazon recommends, you know, <laughs> being more intentional and making sure that you're getting something truly of value to that person. And by of value, I mean something they will use and it be high quality, something that will last at least five years, if not longer, something timeless, nothing trendy, you know, think about your capsule wardrobe and how you would treat a piece that you would invest in for your wardrobe, treat gifts the same way, you know, and gift giving, giving. Yeah. 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 Gift giver. Because a lot of the time we're always thinking about high quality items that we need, but it's also, we're also the gift givers. So mm -hmm. let's be mindful of what those who are giving these gifts to really, really need in their life. Right. And so last year and the year prior were the first two Christmases that I was very intentional with what I got my parents and my siblings. And I found it really, I re found it really fun because I, I knew that these items would be used by them and loved by them. So I was excited to give it to them. In previous years, I would scramble 
Mm-hmm. What do you want? And also on my end, I would scramble. My parents would say, what, what did you want? Then I'd start looking for things that I thought that I needed when really they weren't things I needed. So a little tip I have is I actually start a needs and wants list throughout the year. And so I have ongoing items that I know that I need and I, I rarely get a want. And those, that, that want list completely decreases in size over the years. Same with Lauren. She has that as well. So. Yeah, exactly. I love the want list because sometimes I'll go back and look at it and I'll be like, oh, I don't even want this stuff anymore. I'm glad I didn't actually waste the money on it. So it does come in handy. Um, I want to ask you too, like, you know, Christmas with all the lockdowns and um, stay at home orders and the malls closing, like right now in Toronto, the malls are closed. So I'm curious as to what you think if traditions are going to change in terms of because right now we're not even allowed to get together to exchange gifts. So like, where do you, do you think this will kind of shake up tradition and this constant, like going to the mall and like buying all these people, like all this stuff and like going to all these events, like, how do you think this is going to change it? Oh, I do. I, you know, there's the events part, especially, um, cause I know that I wrote a lot in the book, which I wrote last year with events in mind because I was struggling with so much with busyness. And this year we're all kind of confined to our homes with just our immediate family. (laughs) And, um, and so that's different, but I think, you know, there's a silver lining and it's, it's wonderful that we're forced to slow down, you know, like this is kind of edited things out for us. And a lot of us can now test it out. So next year we can say, you know what? It wasn't the end of the world that we didn't go and do this. Instead, we created this other tradition at home where we all put together a Christmas puzzle together, you know, or whatever it is that you're doing at home together. That might become the new traditions. And I think a lot of us, we've already developed a new tradition. I mean, I know for myself, I'm having Zoom conversations with my family every week through this whole COVID experience that we're going through. So we have that new tradition as a family and that's all year round, which is a whole thing. Well, to that point, I I want to do Zoom on Christmas morning with with grandparents and and family to see the kids open up gifts because as as a parent, like we're the only ones with kids. So everything's all about our kids right now. (laughs) And so... And to have everyone tune in, but now I don't have to do that weird juggle of, well, are we going to go to your mom's this year and then mine for you know Thanksgiving, or are we going to try to do them all in the same weekend and do this one for Christmas Eve and that one for Christmas for lunch or dinner? You know, like it's this weird juggle and it's so busy and stressful. And really, all I've ever wanted was just to like have my kids wake up in the morning and in their own home with their own tree, you know, to see the gifts from Santa. And to have our own slow tradition here and not feel like we're being pulled in a million different directions. And so again, the silver lining is that we, we have to stay home. We, and it, it is sad for grandparents and other family that, that don't get to see you in person, but we can do this digitally and share in that one moment of seeing the kids get excited and rip things open. And so there's good and bad but I like to focus more on the good part. <laughs> yeah. And you, you suggest a lot of beautiful, simple traditions that we can do that are relevant to today, like 
go for a winter walk or a hike. You suggest attending an event, virtual event, uh, volunteer, watch Xmas movies, read Christmas books, you know, check out holiday Christmas lights, all those little things that we can do with family and friends, right? And they're inexpensive too. Almost yeah. all of those things cost nothing or maybe a little bit of gas if that, you know. <laughs> exactly. We, we forget about that. And to start to close our conversation, uh, there is a line in your book that really, really stood out to me. And you said, let's focus on presence, not presence. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, on that note, I, I, I just love that because it's just so relevant. And you also share a technique that you use to quiet your mind. Grounding technique. Yeah. And had, uh, can you share that with our audience? I love I Sure. Love yeah. I wish I could remember who I learned this from. It was a podcast years ago, some lady, <laughs> um, maybe one of your listeners will know if, if there's a certain person who created this, but it goes five, four, three, two, one. And it each one is a different sense and it starts off like this. So you, you get some good breaths in, you know, close your eyes, take some deep breaths and then think of five or you don't even have to close your eyes, obviously, but what are five things you can see? And I do this even late at night in bed when it's pitch black seemingly. And then like your eyes start to shift and you can still see things. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so five things you can see, four things you can feel, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste, or you can say one thing that you like about yourself or love about yourself. And it's really fun to do because even when you're laying there in the dark, in the quiet, and you start doing this, you realize that you can actually make out shapes and you can see things and you can hear crickets and a frog and you can hear a, a truck zooming off in the distance and you can hear the train that must be 25 miles away, but somehow you can still hear it. And now you can hear the waves crashing, even though it's 16 houses away, you know, like whatever it is. Um, I'm always amazed once I start actually tuning in and getting really present and focusing on these senses, how much that I can feel and hear and see. So I do that like in the morning, that sunrise, I'm drinking my coffee. I do that pretty regularly. And it's a sort of meditation in a way. Once all of your senses are activated, you become super present and your brain is kind of forced to be in the here and now and not be thinking about what you have to be doing 10 minutes from now or what's due tomorrow or what your long list to do today or stuck in the past of, you know, we kind of get into these loops where we're just stuck in the past and the future and we're not really present. And when, whenever, whoever it was in some podcast years ago, talked about this technique and I gave it a try, it was just mind blowing for me because at that point I hadn't even tried true meditation yet. And so this grounding technique was really pivotal for me. <laughs> so I, I highly suggest that to anyone. And it's great when you start feeling overwhelmed or stressed and you know, you need to do something and you need something a little bit stronger than just taking deep breaths. This is a, a really great way to get present. I think that's a great technique for anybody who's looking to begin to simplify the holiday season and anybody who is thinking about their goals for 2021. So right. slow down, take that time to be grateful for everything in your life and to be fully present. And I think that 
really sums up the holidays for 2020. You know, it's a time to reflect. It really is a, a reset in many ways. Yeah. And, and how amazing is, is it that it's global? I mean, globally, everyone is having yeah. to sit down and be present and reflect and be grateful for their health. You know, I mean, it's just pretty amazing that on earth has done this to all of us and told us all to sit down. It really <laughs> is. I mean, we're calling you from Canada, you're in the States and everybody who's listening to this is around the world and yeah. everybody's going through the same thing. It's, it's wild. It is completely wild. And hopefully we can take this time, you know, this time of year where we're really getting together with family and friends and, you know, reflecting on the year itself. I think it's a time where we reflect on what we accomplished for the year and start thinking about 2021. Yeah. Again, it's, it's really what you make it. And if you simplify things and you're more intentional with how you carry out the holiday season, it can be less overwhelming and less stressful. So you, you provided some amazing advice. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really believe the message in this book and I, I think it was needed in the world and I didn't know it was going to be super needed <laughs> that the pandemic would happen when I wrote it. Yes. But, uh, it was yeah. unfortunate, good timing, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yes. So where can our audience find you? Yeah, um, I'm Meg Nordman everywhere. So that's Nordman with two N's on the end. And so Meg Nordman on Instagram and Twitter, very active on both. And if you hop on my website and get to my Pinterest, because I have tons of minimalist Christmas Pinterest boards, all organized, of course, for ones for wreaths, ones for kitchens, ones for decorating in the living room, just uh, probably like six different boards at this point. Oh, and, we'll uh, definitely be checking <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can get to them from the link at the back of the book too. That little ebook has everything linked up too. So there's that, and then my website is magnordman.com, and then you can get the link to my book there, which it's basically available on Amazon and other retail sites. I have an audiobook version as well, and you can even listen to it for free if you have Hoopla through your library. Um, or possibly um, Overdrive and Libby too. So I, I don't want to just push this to make money or to tell people you have to consume a book to tell you not to consume. You know, you can get it physical and then pass it on to a friend. Or some people have told me that they're packing it on top of their Christmas decorations in their box so that next year when they open up their Christmas decoration box, they can kind of read through this again and get in the right mind frame again. So I think that's a great idea. So, or you could do ebook or audiobook. Beautiful. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again. And I would love to connect with you in the new year and see how everything is going. I know you have yeah. so many projects on the go. So much. So much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your vision for us. Oh my goodness. I'm, Lauren and I are going to have a call after this and go right to your Pinterest account. <laughs> if you throw a digital vision board party, you can invite me. <laughs> Oh yeah, that would be amazing. We need your advice on on what we need to tell everybody to bring. (laughs) That would be fun. (laughs) Have on site. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thanks again, Meg, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, ladies. Thanks so much, Meg. Take care. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying our show, please hit the subscribe button and kindly rate and review us on iTunes. We love hearing from you and your words really keep us motivated. 
You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Millennial Minimalists, where you can follow our journeys and find more information on our Simple Living coaching sessions. Thanks again for your time. And remember, minimalism is a lifestyle template. It is an opportunity for you to remove the excess from your life so that you can focus on the things that matter most to you. Be inspired to ultimately design a simpler, more intentional life.